episode of RPTS, Regular People Talking Shit, and I am your host, Tank Agnew, and I want to thank you all for uh, just tuning in, uh, just to, you know, hear my take on basically society today and kind of how I am trying to uh, relate that with uh, history in general, so really just looking at uh, nor, uh, modern day society and then just adding a historical context to it so we can kind of really put it into perspective. Um, that way we're better organized and better prepared. And again, uh, it's really just a podcast where I really just want people just to be able to uh, listen to, you know, my take and kind of understand how it really is not anything new it is really related to the past and i really want people to understand that because as long as we know our past and understand it then we don't have to be doomed to repeat it so uh again you know this is rpts regular people talking shit and today what i really wanted to focus on was the prison industrial complex and really how it is modern day slavery so um what I want to read you first is um, a motto from 1828, and it starts as I and then you insert your name, do swear that I will as searcher for guns 
swords, and other weapons among the slaves in my district, faithfully and privately as I can discharge the trust reposed in me as the law directs to the best of my power. So help me God. Now, what that is, is actually a slave patroller's oath in, in 1828 from North Carolina. And what that really is, is the beginning or the foundation of policing in society. And really what has happened over society is that as society has basically continued to progress and grow, what the United States has done is taken what the foundation uh, was the South has laid out as their modern day policing. The three main goals of those slave patrols were chase down, apprehend and return slaves to their owners, provide a form of organized terror to, to deter slave revolts, and their third one was to maintain a form of discipline for slave workers. I mean, and if you think about that, that's exactly what we see today. How, you know, they chase down, apprehend us on. I mean, you, you'll see it on um, phones. You'll see it on television where they, they will continue to chase us down. And they're returning us to th that modern day, that modern day slavery. What has been created for us throughout society, throughout history, where the, the black man, the African-American, the minority in general has been considered less than and uh basically a slave and someone that is to be controlled so through terror they deter us they prevent us from wanting to progress or from preventing from allowing us to progress which is why you see us always behind the eight ball never being able to progress never being able to get from uh above a certain point just because of how we are made to be in fear all the time and prevent it from being able to go uh, in a way that's going to allow us to progress and how they also maintain a form of dis discipline. I mean, th there's a video out where you'll see a little boy playing basketball in his court or on his court in his own driveway at his home. And you'll see police officers driving down the street. And what that little boy is doing when he when he sees those police officers as he's bouncing the basketballs, he stops bouncing the basketball and then he hides behind his mother's vehicle until the police ride by. And then after he sees the police ride by, he goes back to playing basketball again. And that's the form of the, that, that form of discipline that they're creating by trying to install a slave mentality in our mind. So even if we do commit a crime once, you know, uh, God forbid, you know, we become adults, we're already in, in the thought, in that thought process of, okay, I commit a crime. I'm supposed to go to jail. This is what is supposed to happen to me as opposed to why is this happening to me? Why am I supposed to be in fear? Why is it that when I see the police officer, there's something that totally goes in my mind. That's something that doesn't appear in maybe my white counterpart's mind. And I mean, there's something that is instilled in us and has been ingrained with us since slavery. And I mean, the prison industrial complex is a mirror of that. And going back to uh, those slave patrols, the reason why that was really important is because slave owners could feel that their way of life was slipping away. 
<clears throat> you had the Industrial Revolution in the North that was really uh, prominent. I mean, it had really uh, shown that this is where we are going. Industry is where we're going. Buildings, factories, uh, workers, uh, that's where we were going. Now, we were yet to reach a point where there was going to be um, uh, workers um, that are treated fairly in factories. I mean, when you had things like uh, Upton, Clint's, uh, Upton Sinclair's book, The Jungle, where he kind of elaborated on workers' conditions in factories, but that is part and parcel to, you know, uh, big business and trying to, uh, you know, just uh, be a capitalist and have as much money as you can have and uh, as many as many gains as you can have by packing people in. And that that is what brought about, um, you know, the work days and making sure that workers are treated fairly and have eight hour days. So although the, the book Upton Sinclair was supposed to really focus on look at the conditions that these workers are living in where they're sleeping in factories there some people have died in the factories where their bodies have ended up in the machines and now they're being fed to you all that did gain prominence and people looked at that and said wow um, we, we really have to change that but they didn't change it because of the workers' conditions. They changed it because they said, oh, my God, what am I eating? So then that brought about the uh, USDA where uh, you had to, you know, inspect food and it had to be up to par. So, um, you know, that the, those type of things are what were coming about. So slavery was something that was really, really leaving society. And they knew where uh, basically the focus of society was turning toward. You also had trains that are also responsible for um, the uh, time zones. Some people aren't aware of that. And also, uh, and when you have trains, that, that basically creates more commerce and it allows for more production. And you're not really focused on waterways so much and boats and, and horses. You're able to get more commerce quickly. And with, with that, you're able to create bigger cities. You're uh, able to have more people move in. And basically, you're able to have basically society begin to grow. So something like slavery is something that's going is going to be on its way out. Uh, and then you also had enlightenment, um, enlightenment among white people, where basically more white people were becoming educated. And when you become educated, you can see that these forms of life are archaic, barbaric, and th th that they have to be changed. So in comes 1865, where it basically after the Civil War had ended, basically where, you know, it just culminated in a war where um, basically the slaves were freed. Um, then Reconstruction came in and I discussed Reconstruction on my last episode, so I really won't go into it uh, too much in depth. However, um, you know, you had uh, African-Americans who were now, um, you know, becoming uh, uh, politicians who were, you know, representing a constituency basically and um that had to be stopped um that that was something that white society said okay we have allowed that institution to uh basically flourish for long enough which was uh, just a decade and they basically demolished it and 
that was basically what you saw with the rise of the KKK, which was a direct relation to freed blacks, because, they, again, as I stated before, they wanted to maintain a form of discipline. They wanted to have organized terror. Um, so that's when you had the KKK. And along with the KKK was uh, the police departments that were then created, like as I as I read previously, with the slave patrols, as they were uh, known uh, in the beginning. And these practices carry through to today uh, are carried through to today. But you also can't forget about black codes and um uh, and, you know, in Jim Crow laws, because basically th this is what I was referring to about how black people can't be racist, because these are the racist institutions that are created by white America that black society cannot reproduce. This is something that we cannot uh, then instill on white society where we can input laws that will then hinder them or prevent them from growing or progressing as a society. So that was one of my main points in my Can Black People Be Racist episode. Um, so I just want to make people aware that, you know, I continue, I'm going to continue to build on uh, on these podcasts. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to that previous one, definitely get uh, when you get a chance, go back and listen to just my take on if I believe that, if, if I believe uh, if black people can be racist or not. And, and again, I mean, I'll let the cat off the bag. They, I don't believe that they can. And this is just another form of why they cannot be racist. We can be bigots. We can be, even be sexist. But racist is something that African-Americans are not able to be. And it's not something that I don't I don't think white people should uh, scoff at. Honestly, white people should really tip their hat at that because that really it, it displays the amount of power that they have and the the limited amount of power that we hold in the black community. Now, uh, when I talk about the prison industrial complex and why it's modern day slavery, it's definitely a racist institution and it's based on terrorizing and it's a form of keeping blacks enslaved. A lot of people say, well, how can it be modern day slavery if slavery is abolished or there's, you know, if, you know, slavery is illegal? I would argue that slavery is not illegal. Slavery was not deemed illegal from the 13th Amendment. Slavery was amended with the 13th Amendment. But it did not prevent slavery from existing in the United States. Section one of the 13th Amendment states that neither slavery nor involuntary involuntary servitude, except as punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to the jurisdiction. So basically what they're saying is that. Yeah, slavery can exist if you lock them up and put them in jail. And that's exactly what the United States has done since then. They have then transformed slavery where uh, where as we knew it, where, you know, black people were out picking cotton um, and, uh, you know, just basically living on a plantation to transforming it to these basically buildings where they are housing African-Americans at astronomical rates over any other race. Um, and that kind of still goes back into a historical context when I was just referring to the black codes and, and Jim Crow laws and 
I talked about black codes on my previous episode as well. So again, I'm going to continue to build on these episodes because I really want to educate people. Like I, I like to joke around a lot of people with a lot of people when I talk about, you know, just education and a lot of this type of stuff, because, you know, I graduated from Ohio State and I'm thankful for the education that I received. But it, it was expensive as hell. And, um, you know, whenever I look at my student loans and, you know, when I'm paying, I'm like, man, this is crazy. But it doesn't deter me from wanting to educate people and give away this information. So a lot of times when, you know, I talk to people about this type of stuff, I say, man, I had to pay Ohio State $100,000 for this education. I'm trying to give it away to you for free. So, you know, that's just kind of basically how I look at it, because I mean, I really enjoy this and I really love discussing these type of matters and really being able to put them in a historical context because it really allows us to uh, better see really the the, the, the overall picture. Um, so, you know, going back to the black codes and Jim Crow laws, let me give you an example of a, of, uh, of a black code. 1865, right after slavery was ended, you know, you had the South going crazy. So they were trying to figure out basically how are we going to keep, you know, black people in servitude? How are we going to keep black people basically hindered? How are we going to basically, you know, prevent them from progressing in society? Because they're already talking about becoming politicians, already having constituencies, as I discussed with, you know, Reconstruction. That was then ended. Uh, they Here comes the racist institution all over again. And they're discussing, OK, how do we keep them keep them down? 1865, Mississippi and South Carolina, they require blacks to have IDs to work by January of the following year. And if they didn't have it, then they could be arrested and they could have all their assets seized. Also in South Carolina, blacks were prohibited from having any other job if it wasn't a farmer or a servant unless they paid an annual tax that was between like $10 up to like $100. So that's basically how the, the, their institutions were in play to, again, uh, prevent prevent us from progressing and to also, you know, just keep us down and to also kind of start sh you showing how these in, these uh, institutions of uh, I'm sorry, the prison industrial complex was basically an institution for modern day slavery. And it just continues to to switch over. So I like to put this in context and I like for people to understand this, because if we look at just jails and prisons today and we see people going to jail that are African-Americans, it might seem like it by coincidence. But what I'm trying to explain to you all and to and show you through uh, my discussion is that it's not by coincidence. It's by design. And it's been it's it. I, I wouldn't even argue that it's been subtle. What has happened is they try to take our eye off the ball by not thinking that we're going to pick up a book or not there or that we're not going to read or that we're not going to have these type of discussions with one another. Then we can then put these into proper context and then be able to understand where this comes from. One uh, one saying is if you want to hide something from black people, put it in a book. And that's something that I really want us to uh, get away from. And that's why I'm really loving, you know, that uh, that this podcast has been created by myself 
and just continuing to, you know, just educate and just to have these discussions. And again, I definitely want to have people on and I definitely want to talk to people uh, and, you know, just get your opinion about what you think you know, is going on in society. How do you think it relates to history? Even what do you think about previous podcasts? And, you know, maybe even if you disagree with me, but these are the conversations that we have to have with one another if we are going to continue to progress as a society. Now, going back to these laws again, the black codes were shifted to Jim Crow laws and those laws lasted for about 100 years up until uh, uh, the uh, civil rights uh, legislation was passed in the the mid-60s. But when you think about Jim Crow laws, one of the main laws basically was Plessy versus Ferguson, which was an 1896 Supreme Court decision. And I'm just going to continue to break it down like this because I don't want this to come from uh, just a, uh, a perspective where it's just like I'm talking at you. I really want people to be able to pick up what I'm, I'm listening, uh, what I'm, I'm saying and, and really listen to it. That way you can take away from what I'm saying uh, information and be equipped with it. So when you're maybe watching the news or you're seeing this in society, you can kind of relate back to this and kind of understand where this comes from. Now, Plessy versus Ferguson was an incident on a train in 1892 where it was this guy named Homer Plessy and he was from New Orleans and he refused to sit in the car for blacks and what's really interesting about Homer Plessy is he was an octoroon and what an octoroon is is a person who's seven eighths white and one eighth black but that what they argued is that if you have just one drop of black blood in you, then that makes you black. And what happened was he filed a petition against the presiding judge in in that area named John Ferguson, hence Plessy versus Ferguson. And this is where you get the separate but equal act that was basically upheld that, you know, blacks and whites are separate, but equal. And really, if you, if we wanted to take a sub, some subtext out of that, that can, you can kind of see where the hate for ourselves kind of plays into that. Now, the fact that he didn't want to, uh, identify with that, the black blood in him really speaks to something else in society that I really don't want to in really in the black society that I really don't want to get into in this episode, maybe in a, in a later episode. But Homer Plessy is one that we're definitely going to come back on because that's something that really needs to be touched upon in the black society. Because I'll just say this, what Curtis Mayfield said was, hi, yellow girl, can't you tell you just the beginning of our dark, deep well. And I'll just and if you and if you if you just blind to see that your plight is the same as me and that really speaks to Homer Plessy and the plight that he had with himself and something that we have within the black community that we really need to get together and we really need to discuss. But I digress. So I'll, I'll leave that at that. But again, that continued for 100 years until, you know, uh, separate but equal until, you know, the civil rights movement and the civil rights 
uh, act was passed in 1964. So, again, now, once you think about the, you know, the, the military industrial, uh, I'm sorry, the, the prison industrial complex, you want to then relate that with today's society, because when you look at how it's set up, OK, it's set up. OK, after slavery, you have um, a way that you can keep blacks in check, basically, and you can keep a, a form of slavery going. So that basically continued for the, um, you know, the, the, from 1828 with the slave patrols up until 1865 with reconstruction. And then, you know, uh, from 100 years on with, you know, black codes and Jim Crow laws that were then keeping black people in check and, and continuing to terrorize us and prevent us from really progressing in society. Now, originally, prisons were just a place where you housed blacks as a result of its continued practice of modern day slavery. Now, really, how you can see that this is the case is because before the 18th century, when mainly, you know, whites were jailing other whites, most of those sentences were mainly around three months. And a lot of those sentences didn't last more than a day. Now, you still had the wealthy, the elite against the poor, where wealthy people might not serve any time at all uh, or uh, or for the same crime, uh, a, a poor white person would serve way more time than that wealthy person would serve for their crime if both were convicted. Um, so, you, you, I mean, you still had that at play. So I'm not going to say that, you know, it, it, it was it was a utopia before, you know, before black people were really put in the crosshairs and really uh, and, and really just used as, you know, the main product for jail and really kept and really kept in place. But it definitely had a different dynamic. Now, the reason why that's very important is because up until the 1970s, prisons weren't really privatized. But after the 1970s, that's when prisons start being privatized. And that's when you start seeing the issues that we that we're seeing today. And this really ramped up what's known as the prison industrial complex that I've been discussing. Now, let me go back, because what the prison industrial complex basically means is basically. It's a business that needs a product. And whenever you have a, a, a business or an industry, you have to have a product. And if it's a prison, what will that product be? That product is going to be people. And if you privatize prisons, which is what has been the case, it's going to be always in somebody's best interest to make sure that they have product which means that it's always going to be in somebody's best interest for people to go to jail. And unfortunately, it's always been the case that it's been black people that have been the burden of the burden barrier, uh, the, the burden bearer of that. And we've always been the ones that have been the, the ones chosen as the, the, the product for uh, uh, for the prison industrial complex. And you can see how that's been the case from the historical context that it's been put in. Now, after prisons are privatized, you, you have the war on drugs in 1980. And who did the war on drugs uh, basically target? It targeted black people and low-income people in the inner city, which is predominantly black people, which it kept this modern-day slavery going on. But see, at that point, 
from what I was discussing with slave patrols. All of that's nobody's thinking about slave patrols at that point. All of that's, you know, totally out of sight, out of mind. So now you have a society that's basically operating in a way where, OK, we just have to put these people in jail because drugs are bad. This is something that we can't have in society. We have to get away. Uh, we, we have to get the we have to get these drugs out of society because this is making society bad. Although with the Contra scandal and Oliver North, they were the ones that were actually pumping those drugs into the society, uh, along with, you know, uh, putting people in power like, you know, Freeway Ricky Ross, who uh, uh, basically, you know, was supplying crack to. Uh, a, a lot of basically uh, black uh, black America so they could um, so they could basically uh, uh, finance the war for the Contras be, because, you know, the, the government at the time wasn't going to finance that war, but they were going to make sure that they got that money. So who did they target? They targeted the black community and they allowed for modern day slavery to then have more of its product. Um, so what and so one quote that I love that Angela Davis uh, stated about uh, about basically the um, prison industrial complex is for private. She states that for private business, prison labor is like a pot of gold. No strikes, no union organizing, no health benefits, unemployment insurance or compensation to pay. No language barriers as in foreign countries. New Leviathan prisons are being built on thousands of eerie acres of factories inside the walls. Prisoners do data entry for Chevron, make telephone reservations for TWA, raise hogs, shovel manure, make circuit boards, limousines, waterbeds, and lingerie for Victoria's Secret at a fraction of the cost of free labor. And that's really, really important that she said that because basically, if you think about everything that she's that, that she talked about, she talks about from it, whether it be high class to a limousine or making reservations for TWA or entries for Chevron uh, to um, something that they can't even uh even enjoy themselves to lingerie uh, from for Victoria's Secret that would you know that's for a woman that they can't even enjoy seeing it modeled on to the, the to the lowly ends of just shoveling shit you know raising hogs um, uh, you, you know so even the in between where you'll have the, just your regular jobs where you know they're making circuit boards I mean think about if you make circuit boards out in in normal society how much money you make think about that think about if you make limousines how much money you make i mean even farmers who raise hogs even though it might be a living that others might not be you know totally uh you know gung-ho to do they're i'll tell you what the, those hog farmers are not wanting for anything. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. That's a very good profession, a very good profession. So that's something that we have to really take into account that with with these with the prison industrial complex, they're getting free labor. Things that people are, are making very good money on out here. 
is something that they're doing for free inside of the prisons every single day. I mean, just like modern day slavery. So they, they don't need anybody to pick cotton anymore. They don't need anybody to to, you know, to be in the fields all day, you know, uh, slaving uh, away, uh, you know, uh, hurting themselves. They, they don't need that any longer. Now they can still uh, discipline you where they'll put you in the hole. They'll, you know, they, they, they'll, they're, they're even, they'll even still beat you because, I mean, you still have um, issues where, you know, the prisoners rights that we're going to talk about uh, in, in a few seconds uh, in a few minutes here uh, came about. So, I mean, there are still ways that they disenfranchise you even within the prisons after you've been disenfranchised in normal society. So it's just a, basically a microcosm uh, of, of, of that. So when we talk about, you know, modern day slavery and, you know, basically how it relates to uh, you know, prisons, it's the, it's basically just the continuance that we've seen through society where modern day slavery is just slavery in the 21st century that has just evolved for it to fit the society and the context that it finds itself. I mean, it's not a coincidence that black people make up 13.4% of the country but we make up 45% of the U.S. prison population. Within three years of being released, 67.5% of those people that were just released from prison or jail will be arrested again, and over half, 51.8%, will be back in prison. Again, that's not coincidence. That is designed because once you get out of prison, you can't vote. The, um, you're basically a slave in in society at that point. You can't vote. You can't get a job. You can't. You're limited as to what you can do. And if you think about that in the historical context, that goes right back to Mississippi, right back to South Carolina in 1865, where they thought of ways to limit freed blacks. So you got these newly freed blacks from prison who were slaves, who were just slaves in this modern day slavery in this prison industrial complex that are newly freed. But how is it that we're going to get them back to their owners? How do we get them back to their owners? By preventing them from being able to vote, by preventing them from being able to get a good job, from preventing them from being able to provide. They also have gang injunction uh, laws where th that are put in place where if you're a former gang member you can't even be with your family if they're if they're gang members so if you're a gang member and you get out of and you get out of jail and you, and you you can't vote you you don't have any money okay let's say your family was let's say your family was a gang member where else are you going to go be homeless so then now you're violating the law right again now you can be you're susceptible to go right back to jail so these are the same type of laws that we had a hundred plus years ago that are now finding itself in modern day society but people just don't put it in the proper context because as i said they don't want us to think about it in such a way but it's right there if we focus on that and if we really take the time out to look and say this is exactly what has happened from 
the beginning with slave patrols in 1828. It's no different. And what has happened is people have they've decided that, you know, this can't continue. And what I was what I was saying a few minutes ago was you had something called the prisoner right, the prisoner's rights movement. And, uh, you know, if you get an opportunity, really look up the prisoner's rights movement, because it's something that uh, has really basically expanded for some time. And really what I wanted to focus on is the Attica Rebellion. And the Attica Rebellion really is one of the the, the most um, important uh, or I wouldn't say most important, but really one of the most significant um, uh, points of the prisoners' rights movement. And basically what happened was um, in uh, 1971 in Attica, New York, at Attica Correctional Facility, there was basically a rebellion. And I don't like to call it a riot. And the reason why I don't like to call it a riot is because it was the prisoners actually coming together. And it was really a counter movement against what you heard in the beginning, against white imperialism, against, uh, you know, um, uh, white people, you know, basically preventing black people from trying to progress. It was a counter movement against that because basically, um, you know, uh, they were fighting for better living conditions and political rights because uh, some of you may not be familiar or may may not be familiar with uh, a political prisoner by the name of George Jackson, who was imprisoned at San Quentin prison, who was killed two weeks prior to the Attica a prison rebellion that I'm referring to now. And basically what happened was for four days uh, from September 3rd to the 13th in 1971, the prisoners took uh, uh, pr- uh, prisoners hostage. Um, it was a little over 12. It was a little less than 1300 inmates. And um, uh, basically there were um, 42 correctional officers um, who were taken hostage. And what they were doing was, you know, they were they negotiated for four days and they were just fighting for better, you know, better living conditions. And this is what their demands included. They wanted uh, an end to the the to the brutality uh, against them, against the prison staff in the prison. They wanted access to newspapers and and books. They wanted toothpaste and toothbrushes and basic necessities and they wanted training and you know these were some of the just the basic things that they were uh uh negotiating for now a lot of people say that you know that they unsuccessfully negotiated for it because you know after four days the the it, it, the the, the the prison was uh, was stormed and was molested by the uh, by um, the National Guard and and, um, and they they did take the uh, prison back over, but you know there were a lot of changes that did come from that um, that, that did come from that rebellion. So you know it isn't something that should be thought of lightly or should be left. Um, you know, to think that, you know, all that, you know, that occurred, but, um, you know, it wasn't successful at a point. It really was successful. Um, you know, and basically one of, uh, the inmates stated that he quote, he said, um, this is when he was, when they were getting shot in the back, this, his name was James 
uh, I'm sorry, Elliot James. And he, and this is what he said. He said, we are men. We are not beasts. We do not intend to be beaten or driven as such. The entire prison populace, that means each and every one of us here, have set forth to change forever the ruthless brutalization and disregard for the lives of the prisoners here and throughout the United States. What has happened here is but the sound before the fury of those who are oppressed. We will not compromise on any terms except those terms that are agreeable to us. We've called upon all the conscientious citizens of America to assist us in putting an end to the situation that threatens the lives of not only us, but of each and every one of you as well. And I mean, that's very important because even JFK said that the, when the rights of one man are threatened, then the rights of every man are threatened. And and I may have that quote off a little bit, but basically saying that if you're if one man is threatened, then all others, all others uh, rights are at are, are at stake and can be threatened as well. And that's because that really kind of goes back to the military industrial complex that we'll talk about at a later time. But what it's reflecting on is that if I can impart my if I can impart my my will on you and if I can dominate you it's starting with black people then I can continue on and what everybody needs to understand not just black people is that black people are the vanguard of the struggle we will be the first ones that would be put on the in the firing line that will be put in the line of fire that will be basically uh treated as scapegoats and used in uh, as you know as as expendable but it won't stop there it will continue on and on and on and on until basically that one world power that new world order that so many people are worried about white and black will then commence so that's you know something that you know this is all one big wheel and we have to understand that 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 is the case, um, because if not, we will all suffer once it's all said and done. Now, when you go back to, you know, the Attica Rebellion, what happened was 33 inmates in the end were killed and 10 guards were killed. Now, what's funny is none of the inmates had guns. However, all 33 of the inmates were killed by police bullets and eight of the police that were killed were deemed to be killed by police bullets and only two were deemed to have been killed by stabbings. So what a lot of people believe is that a lot of the police were killed by either friendly fire or the fact that they actually got in the way by mistake, uh, well, which would then be friendly fire uh, of other police officers. So that's something that has really uh, been left that has been left out. Because if you look at uh, some of the papers from that 
from from that uprising, from that rebellion, what they will tell you is that 37 died. But actually, it was 43 people that had lost their lives. So, um, you know, that's something that we really have that, that people really have to pay attention to and really do their research, because you can't really just take on hind on, you know, on, on, on basically on uh, just on face value what a lot of people will just tell you so that's why you know i really again you know like having this platform to be able to talk to you all and just make you aware of basically really what we are dealing with um and again you know with the, the prison industrial complex it doesn't stop there because they're 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 going and they're getting us at younger and younger ages um because one uh one thing that has occurred is something called the school to prison pipeline and when you when you step back in 1974 the US kind of stayed stagnant at a point at about uh point about you know 0.1% um I'm sorry 0.1% of the population being incarcerated but again after I after you know after the, after the 70s once they begin privatized by 2008 Although the United States only had 5% of the world's population, we had 25% of the prison population, of the world's population. So that kind of lets you know how we just exploded by just putting people in jail, mainly black people. And then there were the things like the war on drugs that, that occurred. And, you know, that again, that goes back. I mean, those are like modern day black codes, modern day Jim Crow laws that are put in place to hinder black people and to keep us in a modern day slavery and to prevent to keep slavery alive because prison is exactly that modern day slavery um and i mean again you have the school to prison pipeline where they're getting kids that younger ages and for you know petty crimes where you know kids are going to be kids they're i mean they're charging kids uh, tremendous with you know w- with tremendous amounts of time and you have judges who are actually profiting off of this to the point where in 2008 you had two judges who were actually convicted of this crime for um, you know um, with a privatized prison and se- uh, sending these kids to to jail who were actually you know receiving money for putting j- kids in jail one was named Michael Conahan he received 17 and a half years and you had another judge Mark Sia Varela, who who received 28 years and I mean they were both sent to prison for this so this kind of lets you know exactly what we're dealing with as far as that is concerned and you know what our biggest mistake was as black people is we never organized and infiltrated this system of oppression and what I mean by that is last in one of my previous podcasts I don't remember if it was if we can if the racist episode I, I, I believe it was the previous episode and I kind of want to go back and just kind of discuss that again and this kind of relates to that again because whenever you're talking if you really genuinely mean it that should be able to go in a circle where no matter where at in that circle you point you should be able to get you know you should be able to come up with that same exact result you should be able to come up 
with an equation that makes sense because it's all part of the circle. And if you get to a point where it doesn't make sense in that circle, then you need to go back. You need to re-examine and you need to re-examine basically what uh, what your opinion is and or uh, what you've been saying as your uh, as your discussion. But in this, this just makes it just makes perfect sense. Irish people. They come over to this. They come over to America as immigrants, and they see that they are uh, treated as less than. They see that they are not given a fair opportunity. So, what happens to them? They're, you know, they're they're imprisoned. They, they're beat up uh, on by the police. But what happened with them was instead of them not organizing, they did organize and they infiltrated the, the police to the point where paddy wagons are now named after them. And what I mean by that is a paddy is a derogatory name for an Irish person. So I, what Irish people did was they infiltrated the police department to the point where once, um, you know, Irish people, you know, they still committed crimes and because, you know, immigrants, you know, you're you're trying to find your way. You might not have money. You, you might do. There might be certain things that you'll do. However, they still infiltrated the police department. So you have an Irish person who arrests an Irish, another Irish person because they were saying that, oh, all the Irish people are police or all the Irish people are committing crimes. So you'll have an Irishman who's arresting another Irishman and then they're putting him in the police car. So you have an Irishman in the front and an Irishman in the back, hence paddy wagon. But we will look at that as a derogatory term if we discuss it like that. However, if we look at it in today's context, we don't even pay it any attention because, again, it's out of sight, out of mind, because that was something that they then organized to do to be able to make sure that they are not hindered and that they are able to progress. So that's just how I, you know, kind of wanted to relate this topic uh, with, you know, the, the prison industrial complex and uh, from a historical context. And, you know, I just again, you know, wanted to thank you all for, you know, just listening to an, another episode of RPTS, regular people talking shit. And, you know, I'm going to continue to come with more facts, more historical content, I'm going to continue to try to, you know, just improve on that platform. I'm going to get my host on eventually. I'm going to uh, eventually, you know, uh, have invite other people onto the platform just so we can continue to have these discussions and enlighten each other, uh, you know, and um, basically just make sure that we're organized and going going forward. So, again, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, this is RPTS, regular people talking shit. My name's Tank Agnew and you all have a great day. Peace.